Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and uh, as you well know, we are, are on our cavalcade of star guest hosts uh, while we wait for Michael Shore to finish uh, producing, writing, recording, whatever he does with uh, The Good Place, uh, which will uh, have its, uh, I think in September, I think it comes out, but uh, he will be back before then, uh, but in the meantime, we, we uh, have had some incredible uh, guest hosts already, and we have a great one today, my friend, uh, comedian, writer, Alex Edelman. Alex, welcome. Hey, man. I'm so psyched to be here. It's great. It's great to have you. It is. It's uh, This is so much fun. You know, we uh, a couple weeks ago had uh, our friend Gary Gullman on, and Gary was... Uh, Remembering that lunch that we all had together, uh, you and me and and Tommy Tomlinson and Gary had this epic lunch, and uh, basically we just want to redo that lunch sure. today. That's basically all we really want to do. I'm a big fan of the um, long, languid lunch. That's my yes. Well, who isn't? Who isn't? It's the best. Really? Okay. That would be. I, I don't know. It would be the best. It's the best thing. The best thing. A long, a long languid. Fernando Perez, who's a buddy of mine, who. Went to Columbia and then played with distinction for the um, Tampa Bay Rays and the sure. um, uh, Chicago Cubs. Calls it the Triple L. He says there's nothing better than a Triple L. He says it's the only reason that people in the first world live is to get more Triple Ls. Long languid lunches. Okay. Long languid lunches. You know, there are those that don't like the long languid lunch. There are those that go into the lunch they want in, they want out. That's it. I, I have no use for that. I don't get that. That's very that's very non-European of them. But it is. It is very non-European. They just that's it. They're just in. It's a grab and go. They're 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 grab and go people. I I, I know many many of the type. All right. So uh, so there's lots to discuss, lots to talk about. We'll be doing our draft in a little bit. But first, uh, and apparently this is all I'm ever going to be doing when I start the podcast, no matter who my special guest host is. They are uh, apparently all Patriots fans. All I seem to know are people who are Patriots fans. You are a Patriots fan. Um, and and I will ask you exactly the same question I asked Gary. How do, how do you live with yourself? I heard you ask that. I heard you ask yeah. Gary Goldman that question. And yeah. listen, I realized around the time, uh, I guess around 2 o'clock in the afternoon on – the day that Robert Kraft was charged with soliciting prostitution, <laughs> that there is almost nothing that will make me stop being a Patriots fan. There That's it. Is, you're, you're over. I, I don't understand it. If you had said to me, hey, they're going to be accused of cheating, um, several yeah. players of a prominent uh, Trump support. I'm one of those people that has to stop themselves every day from, treat- from tweeting horrible sh- stuff about the president. but Because I hate him so much. Yeah. But... The Patriots could stomp a puppy at midfield at, as a collective, and I'd still be like, what a shame. How horrible. I'm donating $1,000 to PETA. Go Patriots. Like, there's, there's nothing at this point that could make me divest. But Goldman said the fans are the worst, and he isn't wrong. We are. We're the most dis- – we, I, I can't even we, – we are rooting – for uh for the evil empire we're rooting for we've basically become the yankees and goldman's distinction was that um 
was that we didn't outspend. Um, and he is right. There is a certain amount of pride in that all of our gains seem to have seem to be mostly fairly gotten. But boy, are they unlikable. They are so unlikable. They Tom Brady kisses his children on the mouth. Uh, they, it's, just, weird. it's weird. It's weird, but everything I hear... Uh, you know, the funny thing is, someone once said to me something really interesting about Donald Trump, which is that if if you said to someone, what's Hillary Clinton's favorite music? They'd be like, oh, no, probably like mm, Katy Perry or something like that. And uh, it'd be it'd be boring, right? But if you were like, "Hey, what do you think Donald Trump's favorite movie, music is?" They'd be like, "Oh, what is it? What is it? What is it? What do you think it could possibly be? Ooh, it must be some like... Oh, I bet you he loves like 1980s glam rock. He's such a piece of garbage. Like it's the same thing about the Patriots. There's like this endless fascination with the Patriots and Gino Iarema. Um, am I pronouncing his name right? I think that's right. Gino Iarema said that sports is built on dynasties. They give something. They give people something to root against. They give people something to collect around. And he's right. Sports, if you think about it, are a collection of these dynastic monoliths that dominated eras, even in eras of really great parody. You think about the great teams of X, Y, or you think about the Cowboys, and sometimes those dynasties don't actually yield a, a huge amount of championships but they give people like people i don't know how many super bowls did the cowboys actually win during the years where they were america's team uh they won i think they won two in the 70s and uh they won three in the 90s uh so i think that's their five i think that's five right. but you know like they weren't with these do- they weren't like the dominant celtics celtics of the you know 60s Nobody no, right. but like, or, or the Yankees of you know various eras. The Yankees have had runs, but 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 teams that are dynasties sort of characterize the. Um, they get nicknames like the Big Red Machine or, or you know the Broad Street Bullet. Like like they are who we think of uh, when we think of certain certain eras, and so I guess the Patriots are. I think the astounding thing about them is the longevity of the dynasty. And yeah. I am not entirely convinced that when Tom Brady is gone, that will end because every other player has proved replaceable. And, and we just, uh, and by the way, they did pretty well with Matt Castle. They didn't do terribly okay. with Castle and they didn't do terribly with Garoppolo. Like, like uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not totally uh, convinced that the dynasty isn't the thing behind the dynasty. Isn't the Patriot way. I think the Patriot way, the system of, coaching the um i wonder who you'd have to kill to make the uh make the patriots I, I have an idea i have an idea who would who, who would actually be the 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 one to end uh, slytherin's reign but but here's the thing here's the thing so gino ariemo um clearly i mean look they of course he thinks dynasties are are what define sports and they the Connecticut women haven't lost since like 1883. I mean, that doesn't, it's not, of course he feels that way. The rest of us don't feel that great about, about dynasties. The thing about the Patriots, and I'll ask you the question I asked him, I actually was just at uh, the Sloan uh, sports analytics conference, which I was hear uh, fantastic. That. Yeah, it was really cool. And uh, it was a question. It was a question posed to uh, the panel uh, of people, including Nate Silver and a couple of other, uh, Daryl Morey was on the panel. Uh, and so I'll ask you the question. Oh, sorry about all well, those because- names you dropped just there. 
Oh yeah, well they're my buddy. I I was in the audience. I mean that's like saying, oh you know I went to see Bruce Springsteen nah, nah, and nah, nah. I paid a million dollars to go. Yeah. So um so yeah so I was in the audience for this and so they asked the question that I will ask you that I asked Gary um and I think there is an answer to this and that is who is more responsible for the Patriots dynasty, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Who is it? Mm. Who is more responsible? Obviously you, you you know it's not a fair question because. Clearly, it's the duo uh, that are at the heart of it, right? And 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 if, you know, there's a very good chance if you took one away or the other away, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't work because it's it's sort of you know like would the Beatles be the Beatles if if either Paul or John were gone? So you can you can certainly cop out and and give that answer. But the real question is. Who is more responsible for the dynasty, there's, Bill Belichick or Tom There's Brady? no question in my mind that it's Bill Belichick. Just as there's no question in my mind that Tom Brady is and has become the greatest quarterback of his or any other generation. But that is, you know, that is allowed. Sports is a team game. Like sports is, in football, all the more so a uh, exercise in collective um, collective effort through individual excellence, and and uh, which, by the way, I can believe that like Bill Belichick would one day have lasered into the forearms of every one of his players, like you know, collective effort through individual excellence. But like that that is some like that is a Bill Belichickian uh, mantra. And he has allowed Tom Brady, who is like, let's be honest, was a slightly out of shape you know, late round draft pick out of Michigan, not the most brilliantly tooled player with like, you know, all the X factors that made him a perfect robot, a perfect meat robot for Bill Belichick. This is Bill, Tom, Tom Brady, a great quarterback would, would be, would have had a Hasselbackian career without, uh, without <laughs> Bill Belichick. He would have been a journeyman who, and since, and I mean, look, it's not, it doesn't feel like uh, he has a common will. Like the man hasn't had a strawberry since eighth grade, but like <laughs> besides that, like what a miserable life in some respects, Tom Brady's life. Like he, like, do you think he ever has had a brownie? Like, do you think he's ever had a chocolate chip cookie? Like I can't imagine that if he has, it's one of these things that like taste of coconut. And he's like, it's exactly like a chocolate chip cookie. And like, of course not. Of course it's not like a chocolate chip cookie. He just, ha- he just doesn't remember the taste. It's like, it's like someone drinking diet Coke and thinking it tastes like chocolate. Like he, there's absolutely no way that Tom Brady is a normal human being, but by the same token, uh, it's all Belichick and Ernie Adams and whatever other masterminds that Belichick has buried in the concrete bowels of Gillette stadium, because it, and to and anyone who says otherwise just doesn't understand the way the Patriots work. It's you know it's definitely bad. Yeah, you, you would you would get into fights. I, I imagine in the Boston area making that. I I actually um, you're not going to get a fight from me because I I tend to agree with you. I don't. I wouldn't necessarily go as far as you are willing to go, which I'm, I applaud you from afar. Um, but I do believe that Belichick is is the key. And and you know your your point about Tom Brady what it would have been like if, if another team drafts Tom Brady, there's a chance he never plays in an NFL game. I mean, he was a late round pick. Um, He would have to catch somebody's eye. He would have to get an opportunity. I mean, a million things had to go right 
for him to get the opportunity in New England, where Belichick, you know, was obviously, uh, you know, in charge. So who knows if if he's drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, we we never he never hear him. We never he's he. Yeah. And he never marries you know, who he marries, and he never has, lives the life. Right? Yeah, I'm saying he never still, he never has any of that he's life. He's still but, married to Bridget Moynihan in an alternate universe. He's married to Bridget Moynihan and signing autographs <laughs> at a card conference in Cleveland. <laughs> well, that would be a much better universe for me personally. Yeah, yeah. I have him in Cleveland, um, but but honestly, I mean, he is. And this is not to take anything away. I, I think every great player, um, you know, it's very, very difficult unless you're in the in the right situation, you know, for for you to be a player who who you know has the kind of success, certainly team success that he's had. And 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 you know, if you put somebody else in that situation, there's a very good chance that they would not be as good as Tom Brady. In fact, there's a, a uh, you would almost bet that they would not be as good as Tom Brady, but they might have similar success. You don't know. Here's the thing that I would say about Belichick, and this is you, you've sort of touched on this. A lot of people will say Tom Brady is the key because Belichick failed in Cleveland as as a head coach, and he struggled in his first year with the Patriots. And so the idea being, uh, it really wasn't until Tom Brady came along that he started having success, but. But that's not true. It's not. It's not a true statement. He had tr- unbelievable success as an assistant coach, uh, defensive coordinator. He did have success in Cleveland. He took Cleveland uh, to the playoffs and and put him in a situation with a with a really shaky roster. Uh, put him in a situation where they were they had a I, I believe a home field uh, game in the playoffs that they lost, and then the team moved. There was just nothing that last year. You it, it didn't matter who you could have been Vince Lombardi. That team wasn't going to win anything when they're you know the rumors came out they were going to move and they moved. So my thought is that you look over the breadth of 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 Bill Belichick's career. Given stability, given a good owner, given uh you know some good players. He was going to win, and he was going to win big, no matter what. Uh, he's the one that found Tom Brady and 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 gave him the opportunity at a time that a lot of people wouldn't have. I don't think that takes anything away from Tom Brady, but I'm with you. I think Belichick. Is I mean, awesome. look. Then, first of all, you said you're going to get in fights, not at the Sloan Sports Conference. You think you'll find one person <laughs> at the Sloan Sports Conference who? Like ironically, that some of those guys are vicious, man. You don't want to get, you don't want to get. Of course not. But who's the who's guys. the dumbest guy at the Sloan Sports Conference? It's probably Jonathan Kraft. No, it's Jonathan Kraft. Every year it's well, Jonathan Kraft. Do you remember that that fight from 2010 that Jonathan Kraft got into with uh, Mark Cuban? Were you there for that? I was not there for that, but it's 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 funny because that's one of the highlights in the history oh, of. Uh, it's of the, so it's. It's so good. It's so great to watch because Jonathan Kraft, for your listeners who may not know, is the son of Robert Kraft. And if you think Robert Kraft sometimes presents as a moron, then Jonathan Kraft is the biggest chip off the oldest block. And uh, the app, the the crab apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And uh, and Jonathan Kraft was talking about how they were going to put Wi-Fi in every, in every seat at Gillette Stadium with streaming video. And he's on a panel with Mark Cuban, who's like a streaming guy. Like that was how he made <laughs> his money. Job. Yeah, that's funny. So Mark Cuban does a quick breakdown of the numbers, which is 20,000 people doing two milli, um, two Mbps and with real throughput. And he's like, that's 40 gigabytes of sustained throughput. That's not easy. And you can see Jonathan Kraft wanting to be like, 
I, I don't know what any of those words mean, but <laughs> he broke it down for him. It was it was abs- it's absolutely wonderful. Although with that said, two years later, there was Wi-Fi at Gillette Stadium. And uh, two years after that, there was Wi-Fi at the American Airlines Center in Dallas. But still, I, I think that uh, it, it, I don't think we're, we're near every seat streaming video. Well, probably not. No. Well, look, Jonathan Graft was there uh, at the at the Sloan conference. I didn't get to go to his session, uh, but his session was about how to build a legacy, which I thought the timing was kind of rough. That was a rough. There was it. It just that it didn't quite work out from the timing on the legacy thing. Uh, but you know, realistically, and 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 it it I, I wouldn't say it hurts me to say this because it's true. You can't run an organization better than the Patriots have run from a, from a, you know, from a football standpoint, from a fan standpoint, from a building a legacy standpoint, from all of those things. Um, I would actually disagree. Oh, it's interesting. Okay. I I have a, maybe I shouldn't say this on your podcast, but, but I have, uh, I have seen the Patriots, um, and and they've done some – there are some people who do incredible jobs. Like Larry Latave was the director of retail planning and strategy for the Patriots, and he was a, a Sloan graduate. And and there are a whole bunch of incredibly smart people who work there. But I would say that they um, oftentimes do not present themselves as uh, good partners in the Boston sports community. Uh, like with the other teams, I think they are a really um, – I think they've really removed themselves in a way that the Red Sox are often accused of from the um, general working fan. Uh, and I just don't think that the organization sort of exudes uh, – I don't know. I shouldn't say any of this. I don't think the organization exudes the class that, that they that they used to. And I really um, – I don't know. It's it's hard for me as a Patriots fan because I do love the Patriots. I grew up loving the Patriots. I love them especially when they were bad. For me, the team that that really captured my interest in football was the um, 1997 uh, Drew Bledsoe Patriots who lost in the Super Bowl. And uh, sure. as much as we joke about Patriots fans, it is a, you know it has always been a wonderful active fan base like it's and, and i don't know that the organization themselves is are are, are the best and i think they've been well, that's interesting. yeah that's interesting i and and i wouldn't have the insight i mean you know i know obviously a lot of people in boston and and they they are constantly talking about the patriots being on the cutting edge of fan experience and doing all the good things so i'm not I, obviously i you know i see it from afar they would have a much they are on the cutting edge of they are on the cutting edge of everything they've retailed their um they've retailed their their uh stadium to death they have um totally they've put made public transportation in the game easier the fan experience is expensive but pretty good i i just don't uh I, just, I don't know. There's, there's, there's a. I, I prefer the, I prefer the way the Red Sox did it. But I'm super biased. I worked at the Red Sox from, um, from '03 to '07, and then again in 2013. So yes, I'm really, are. really yes. biased. You're, you're biased with the Red Sox. Well, that's fine. Well, you can, you can speak to this question. You're younger uh, than Gary and I, and 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 uh, some of the others, uh, Mike as well. Uh, but you can still speak to this. So one of the one of the themes of this podcast is this idea that uh, a fan base 
like the character of the Boston fan base seemed to me always to be better suited for suffering. Mm. Like, like it was, it seemed perfectly suited. So when the Patriots were bad, um, pretty typically bad, although they did go to a couple of Super Bowls, pretty typically bad. The 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 Red Sox, of course, were famously uh, cursed. And all of that, the the Bruins had uh, their their many chapters of of uh, infamy, and and uh, the Celtics, of course, were great in the seventies, and I mean the fifties and sixties were unbeatable, and the eighties were excellent. But then went all through through a stretch where they were good but not great. It seemed like that that was sort of perfectly fit the Boston totally. sports character, and then they got good at everything, everything, yeah. literally everything, and. It doesn't seem like it's as good for the I Boston th- sports character. I don't I know. totally what do you, agree. What do you think? I think your character is is suited to. I think failure incubates a sports fan's character because it is the setup to a wonderful punchline, like uh, which is a victory. Like I think that sure the best championship of the last twenty five years is is you know is a championship for you know like the Kansas City Royals. Like that is a fan base that so deserved right. their World Series um, in 2015. Like that is a, um, a that is a fan base that uh, you know worked so hard for so long and and stuck with uh, and stuck with their with their like franchise through. And, and that's really it's so important. That's so important for the character of a of a fan. If you made a list of of great championships, like you know. The 2004 Red Sox, the 2015 Royals, the you know um, the Cubs, uh, 2016. Like, it's like what a wonderful, right. um, affirming uh, set of things. But like, you know who I feel bad for is my friend is a hardcore. Uh, my friend uh, Mark is an idiot, but he is a hardcore uh, New England Revolution fan. <laughs> And that is his only team. And wow. I love the New England Revolution. And no one knows this about the New England Revolution. They have been to like four championship games and have lost every single time. They have never won an MLS. Right, nobody knows that. And it actually kills me. Like I'm a huge. Uh, I'm I'm a pretty big fan. During the Taylor Twelman years, I was a really Taylor Twelman years. I was a pretty uh, pretty excited um, uh, watcher. But like, by the way, here's why Mark is an idiot in a typical. Um, uh, Patriots uh, or typical Boston sports fan. He occasionally will um, float the theory that when Bledsoe was injured, the Patriots should have started Michael Bishop. And nothing has disabused him of the notion wow. that the Patriots should have started Michael Bishop. And when the Patriots <laughs> lost to the Giants against Eli Manning, he sent me a text message going, listen, Bishop would have been able to make that extra th- that throw the ball those extra yards because Bishop had this legendary arm strength. He was the other backup option. Oh my yeah, god, yeah, like an absolute bad. cannon, like seventy yards in the air, like could throw just just effortlessly. And and Mark is always like Michael Bishop, man, could have been great, could have been great. And I'm like Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback of all time, and he's still he's still talking about Michael Bishop. <laughs> he still talks about him. But yeah, I'm sorry. To, but that's but that is that. part of the character of a um all the things that make sports fun to be involved in as a fan the mythology the second guessing the armchair analysis like that all comes from losing 
And the thing that connects you to um, to your franchise, and this maybe is a disconnect for the Patriots, is that who can second-guess Bill Belichick? It's so much easier to second-guess John Gruden or Terry Collins or – or, you know, <laughs> someone who is uh, – or Bobby Valentine. Why, I'm, why am I thinking of Mets managers? But, like – I don't know. Well, because we, nobody's better than yeah, guess. Sorry, I'm, 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 I'm talking for too long. But, like, the the point – no, I'm No, no, no. This You're right. Look, I I, I think that's 100% right. Uh, I want to throw out something about Michael Bishop. Ancient. I covered Michael Bishop uh, in college at Kansas State. Yeah, I, uh, so I got to know Michael pretty well. Michael Bishop, uh, not many people uh, know this, he is you can make the argument. I mean, everything can go back to to different starting points and whatever. But you can make the argument that Michael Bishop is the original Wildcat. Oh, that's Porter, right. Uh, the Wildcat is named, yeah, named after the Wildcats, the Kansas State Wildcats, and. Uh, I remember watching they would he would run the Wildcat 20 Bill Snyder was the coach then he would run it 20 consecutive plays he would just he would you know he would have uh, uh Bishop in the shotgun and then Bishop would catch and then Bishop would run every single time I mean it happened he would he would do it honestly like every single play certain during certain drives and uh and I remember thinking this is the stupidest offense I've ever seen in my entire life and uh it launched a revolution. So there you Why go. didn't Michael so. Bishop become a huge star in the NFL? Like I don't. Uh... Well, nobody nobody was running the Wildcat for one thing when he first came out. Um, I don't know. I mean, he had a bazooka of an arm. He wasn't super duper accurate, uh, which is I, you know I I think when you look at NFL quarterbacks now, you know people always like it's so nonsensical what you're hearing people now talk about when they go to the combine. None of that stuff, Matt. Even arm strength. I mean, I think that you need you need to have like a good enough arm to play the game. Like the, the, there are table stakes for how good your arm has to be, and everything after that is kind of unnecessary. It's all accuracy. It's all accuracy and how quickly you can get the ball out. And and so you have these guys that are just incredibly, you know, they're incredible athletes, are incredibly strong arms. They 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 you know even if they have a little bit of accuracy. They don't get the ball out fast enough if they don't think quick enough to just sure. make that quick, accurate throw. If they're not deadly accurate, I think you know that's that's you look at who the the, the best quarterbacks are, uh, you know, over the last twenty years, and that's the one thing that captures all of them is just you know accuracy, 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 and every so often a guy who is sort of accurate can have a gear, you know, but you know, good year to good two years. You can you can be like a an athletic freak like Cam Newton and 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 be successful for a while, but the ones that have that that incredible longevity like Brady and Manning and and uh, uh, you know you Drew and all these other guys, I mean, it's all about absolutely putting the ball dead where it needs to go, and and uh, I don't think Bishop had that. I think that's, the, that's, that'd be the my emphasis on accuracy perfectly illustrates the movement of football away from uh away from like individual players and talent towards a more focused Belichickian approach like I really I don't know I don't I don't know what I'm talking about I'm I'm an absolute I'm an absolute idiot but like no you do of course you know what you're talking I, about this you're when I started right. working on the you're Red 100% Sox, right. we, there was a distinctive um there was a, you know, people sort of kept getting sick of it's 
they get sick of hearing about Moneyball. They'd really get sick of hearing about Moneyball. But like, I remember a baseball ops guy. Um, I I remember his name, but he wouldn't appreciate it. But uh, a, a baseball ops guy who once said, "This is a <laughs> this is an asset. We are a business. We're trying to you know." We're doing the best we can because someone said, we're, well, we're doing money ball with money. We're trying to, uh, you know, we're trying to buy the we're, we're doing basically what Billy Bean was doing in Oakland, but with more um, but with more cash. And he's like, who doesn't who doesn't analyze their business? He's like, are we supposed to just sort of this is the most important aspect of our product. Like we're just supposed to sort of feel it out and rely on people's individual like talented quirks like that's not how that's not how business works we're we're trying to to so yeah you can see how accuracy would become more of a valued asset than the sort of like intangible x factor of whether someone can you know juke or 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 throw far or or just uh have raw talent i don't know i'm losing confidence as i explain this but like no, no, that's a really that's a really really good point because there's something about sports, especially sports in in the modern world. And it's, football is a big example of that, but baseball is a big example of that. You're right in the sense of people. You don't want your success to be built upon a freak athlete that you happen to have that you could not replace and could not. Uh, find a way to to um, you know to to redo what it is that they do right. I mean, it's like as great as Tom Brady is, we know what makes Tom Brady really good. He's an incredible competitor. He's incredibly accurate. He prepares more than anybody else in the world. He has a good arm. Uh, is a very quick release. I mean, these are these are things that you know you can talk about intangibles, but really it's pretty tangible what he does well you know i mean the, you can maybe maybe you know when when the team is down and you know all that gipper stuff um you know oh, he, he delivers or whatever but realistically yeah. he's yeah realistically he's accurate he's 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 got a good arm he prepares like crazy he knows your defense better than you know it um all right that can be duplicated I mean, will anybody be as good at Tom Brady at it? Maybe not, but we saw, hey, suddenly you put a uh, Garofalo in his place and okay, he's not as good, but eh, the team is still really good with him, you know? And 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 I think that, that you're right in the sense of, and I think this is very, very true in baseball, where you, know, you look at like these, these players that simply cannot be replaced. One guy cannot be replaced. You cannot... Uh, sure. Replace a Mike Trout, right? There's there's nobody in the game that can go in and do all the things that Mike Trout can do. But there are three guys that can do combined the things that Mike Trout does, and that's why the Angels don't win. And other teams that have those three guys, or four guys, or six guys, or whatever the number is, uh, that's why they do win because it it's you're still trying to get to a certain level as a team, and one player can take you so far. But you don't want to rely on something that they can do that nobody else will ever be able to do because, yeah, as far as a business goes, a business plan, what's your plan when he leaves? What's your plan when he retires, right? We have never been like there, like there's no plan because we have, I don't think we've ever been in an, and I say this as someone who's turning 30 this month, so I don't know. You, I mean, you and Gary and, 
And you are so Michael, young. Michael My will know so much. I don't feel young, but uh, <laughs> will uh, will know so much more than I. But I think I can't imagine a time where the individual athlete on his own has, in every sport, has ever been more devalued as a. Um, I'd say basketball. I'd say in basketball, it's still valued. Well, I mean, the but, NBA level, it's very, very. I'm saying sure, LeBron, that that's the one sport. That's the one sport where you believe one guy. You, your plan is not like, okay, what are we going to do for the next ten years? Your plan is let's get LeBron or let's get Durant right now, and he will carry us to a certain level, and we won't worry about replacing him. We're not looking to be a dynasty. We're looking to be good over the next three years. But don't those guys lose in the championship to the team that's the juggernaut? That's the team that's the juggernaut collective? Like, it feels like hockey. I'm watching what's happening to the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, the saddest franchise in sports right now is the Ottawa Senators, which no one has. I'm not sure if, if you've seen. Someone did a tweet thread of of what's happened to the Ottawa Sounders over the last few years. <laughs> and it is like, it is excruciating. Saddest movie. Yeah. Oh my God. But like, <laughs> it's like, I can't even, I can't even sum up how, how bad things have been for Ottawa for, uh, for, for the last years. But Connor McDavid in Edmonton is watching the same thing happen where he is the most talented player in the NFL in the NHL. It's not even close and uh, I, I don't know, but but I say that I, I don't know what the hell is going on with the Celtics, and I am absolutely devastated by how how badly uh, they've been doing. And they're in Oakland tonight playing the Golden State Warriors, and it is it is going to be either the ugliest or maybe they can reclaim a little bit of their pride. But it's changed the way I think about sports, even. Like, uh, I, I don't think they're going to reclaim their pride. I really don't. No. Now, by the time somebody hears this, they'll know. But I, I do not believe they're going to reclaim much of their pride. That's you know, it, it's weird that that organization has. It, that's just such a weird. I, I don't know. I mean, it's like LeBron goes west and and just clears the path for the Celtics. Just clears the deck for them to to just own the year. You know, certainly own the Eastern Conference and. Uh, Every single thing seems to have gone wrong. Just every single thing. And you it's know, weird. I mean, it's like they could make yeah. the playoffs. Still, they'll, they'll they'll probably make. Oh the yeah, playoffs, well, but... they're in the East. Of course, they will. Ugh. I mean, that's like who isn't going to make? I mean, the, other than the Knicks, like you just count the Knicks out, and then everybody else is going to make the playoffs in the East. So, all right. But here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. So we we we've got to go on our Yankee minute. But I, before we do that, uh, I want to ask you, um, and you talk about this in your act and all of this. Uh, your family is a very, very interesting family, oh, yeah. and I'm particularly interested by your brother. Uh, you have two brothers, right? Yeah, I have two brothers. Austin. Tell, tell, well, I have two brothers. Austin, who is in his, uh, who, who's, who's, who's in, who's at MIT right now, studying at MIT. Um, Excellent. And my other brother, AJ or Adam Edelman, um, represented uh, Israel in last. Go ahead. In, Winter in Olympics in a sport called yeah, in, skeleton. It, <laughs> I want you to repeat that because that's this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. So AJ, my <laughs> wonderful little brother, two years younger than me. He is twenty-seven <laughs> years old, turning twenty-eight in a few days. 
has uh, somehow got it in his head a few years ago that he needed to make the Olympics. And I don't know where that thought comes from. And I resent the fact that that thought exists in anyone's head because no one needs to make the Olympics. But AJ decided to represent Israel in a sport called skeleton. And I'm sure that you're listening to this and thinking this Israel, Israel has a winter Olympics team. Yes. Um, does now they do have a winter? No, he had a trade in Germany and what must be the irony to end all ironies. And he, uh, he in skeleton, if you don't know what that is, it's like luge, but head first. Cause someone looked head at luge. First luge. That's what this is. Head first. Luge. Yeah. Because luge is for cowards where you just go feet first. <laughs> right. The last thing, if you're going to say it, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna die, you might as well see it. It used to be called Head First Luge, but then they, a bunch of people died, and they're like, "Let's just call it People We Come." And that's why it's called Skeleton. <laughs> but AJ is uh, AJ represented Israel, and he did not have a controversy free Olympics. AJ had Samson painted on his helmet, and oh. uh, and the Olympics disqualified the helmet because they said it was religious imagery. And, uh, wow. Yeah. It was a really interesting insight. Um, I hated the Olympics. Absolutely (laughs) despise them. I will never go back. It is. I don't have a visa. I don't have a visa card. Now you can only use visa card. Um, all the food is is McDonald's. All of the drinks are (laughs) Coca-Cola. It is a dystopian health. The stadiums are empty empty and you can't get a ticket because every ticket is sitting on the desk of some middle manager at Goodyear Tire and, you know, literally 25,000 miles away because no one like all the tickets go to corporate sponsorship. So you can't get into curling. And once you get into curling, it's absolutely like empty. There's nothing. And we just walk down because if you're an American in any other country, you can just you can just have any seat you like. Not a lot of people know that. You can just walk up to a seat and be like, can I have a seat? I'm an American. And they're like, oh, yeah, please go ahead. So, like, we sat in the Olympic delegate seats because we just bought general mission tickets and then just sat in because it was so empty. And so this guy sits down next to me. And my mom, my mom on my other side, on the other side of me just starts freaking out. And I don't know what's going on. So I thought it was like an old figure skater because we're at figure skating. And I said, hey, uh, are you, are you a former Olympian? And he said, well, yes, I am. And I said, oh, hi, I'm Alex. And he went, hi, I'm Albert. It was Prince Albert of Monaco who had sat down <laughs> next to me. So I don't know. A former Olympian, that is true. Yeah, there you go. I didn't know that. By the way, I didn't realize that some people can just like buy their way into the Olympics. That's not how my brother did it. My brother, by, by the way, my brother, if you're curious, he finished in 27th place, um, sure. a sturdy nine podiums back. <laughs> uh, but he we are proud of him he's one of the 30 best skeleton athletes in the world out of the 45 skeleton athletes um, in the world <laughs> but you know there puts him in the top 66% that's excellent it was uh, no there are hundreds of people oh, all yeah. kidding aside there are hundreds of people who try to qualify for this sport you would never have any idea how um, how much politicking there is you can qualify for the Olympics but your country won't send you because they have internal guidelines or your country only sends a certain number of teams. A guy from Liechtenstein qualified for the skeleton event. He'd been working his entire life to get there. 
And he didn't get to go to the Olympics because his country forgot to file the paperwork on time. So his slot went to a guy from Jamaica who really lives in New Jersey. So like the whole thing, and there are different people who are like, you find out about who's a real piece of crap. Like my brother wouldn't say a bad word about anybody, but like different people on the, like the guy from Italy was a horrible dude. And like the guy from like, you you find out about different, different people who are, who are awful because they're these little communities of uh, of people whose lives center around this one, you know, four year every four years event, and they measure their lives out in in these in four year increments, and and they find it really hard to move on. They find it really hard to um, to leave that community. They like gossip. Um, there's there's rampant cheating that that goes un, uncaught. Uh, people toe the line between innovative design and illegal modification. Like it's a really fascinating world, uh, like minor Olympic sports. And, uh, it was cool to be like secondarily immersed in it via my brother. I should, uh, I'd love to write about it at some point. I've never uh, thought about it. Now is his career, is his career over or is he picking, is he, is he, is he planning on, on trying for 20, uh, whatever it is, 22, I guess. Well, it's funny you should ask because AJ is toying with the idea and I think more than toying, although I would like it for him to just be toying because um, I worry about the cumulative health effects of sliding sports on, on the brains of athletes. Cause if you're going down ice at, at that speed, which is, you know, you know, uh, above 120 kilometers an hour, uh, sure. Your brain is going so um, so. I worry about the effects of CTE on on AJ, but he is he is toying with 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 joining uh, with 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 creating a bobsled team for Israel. And sure. if you are a proud, um, if you, if you're listening to this and you want to help the Olympic the Israeli Olympic <laughs> effort, there there is certainly an avenue where you can um, where you can become a patron of that. Google. Um, if you Google me or my brother, uh, either of us will be happy to tell you how to contribute. Or uh, if you if you email me, I will tell you other charities where you can actually um, help the world a little bit uh, instead of instead of giving money to the Israeli Olympic team. But um, yeah, AJ is AJ's trying to qualify in what I've been calling shul runnings. He's been uh, <laughs> he's considering qualifying for I. Or- I call the bobsled team for Israel. Yeah, the bobsled team for Israel. So um, I can't believe now. You know, do you remember when Herschel Walker was was trying to be a bobsledder? I mean, Herschel. That's sort of you know that's a Jewish name. Well, we called him Heshi for a long time. (laughs) Heshi Walker. Heshi is a. Heshi was great. The pride of Wrightsville, Georgia. You know, like uh, sure, like it's sure. it's fantastic that 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 Hesh was, was was trying, but he never really fit in in synagogue. To be honest, that he had a, <laughs> he had this really weird diet uh, where he would, you know, he slept five hours a night and ate one meal a day, and the meal was always soup, bread, and salads. And we're like, Heshi, try some of this chillant, and and he was he was never in, he was never into it. But but uh, hey, do you remember he he supported. Uh, He's like a republic. He's like a real Republican guy, uh, Heshi Walker. But uh, I did not know that. No, I've I've not been up with Herschel Walker's political stands. But uh, but anyway, but this I, I think that this uh, um, 
this is going to be great. So you'll keep us updated on on where the I will. where the uh, I'll keep you updated. Is it a two man bobsled or a four man? He's going for the full four man. I think. I don't want to say you know more than I do, but I've been avoiding as much <laughs> as much of, I've been avoiding it as much as possible because it freaks me out, man. It really does. If I'm being totally honest, it's hard. Like watching him go down. I want to go see him qualify. Oh, gosh, I would imagine in oh yeah. I want to go to Switzerland to see him qualify in St. Moritz. And there is something really cool about watching him do it once. And then even at the Olympics, like, you know, there was a, there was an, um, I think a Kazakhstani Olympian killed at the Olympics two Olympics ago. He flew off the track and hit a telephone pole or something. And like, you know, it's scary. Like you don't want, uh, but, but when he finished, we were so proud of him and he was so proud. He was so, um, it's really cool to walk around the Olympic village and uh, flirt with the athletes because everyone talks about how, uh, by the way, the winter Olympics, much less, um, much, much less sexualized than the summer Olympics. I'm told the athletes are the clothes. Oh yeah. The athletes are, are bundled up. <laughs> everyone looks like the Michelin man. Cause it's like minus a million degrees. And, in, in, uh the Olympics, the judging from everyone's expressions, you would have thought that the Olympics were being held in North Korea because everyone was was just just abominably cold the entire time. But uh, I sat next to Ray Bork at a hockey game, so that was a life highlight. Ah, that's excellent. That's son, excellent. Uh, son plays for the U.S. team, and the U.S. team was pretty abysmal, but it was really cool too. To I mean, it's a cool experience that everyone should do once in their life and never again. You've covered it. You've covered Olympics. I've been. I've been to. Uh, 10 what nine nine or 10 olympics yeah so yeah no i i know what you're saying what was your worst one what was the worst olympics for you my least favorite olympics was probably uh sochi uh just because it was so weird i mean it was i mean it was fun you know but it was just so weird to be in sochi and you you, they weren't allowed to leave and and you know you're sort of in russia but you're really kind of in this weird disneyland-esque uh area and i sat probably i don't know eight or nine seats over from um uh, from Putin and which was very strange everything about it was just very weird and 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 uh uncomfortable uh the olympics themselves were fine uh but but that one was 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 not a, a favorite of mine um Actually, I'd say my least favorite ones tended to be the Winter Olympics, just because they usually were in places they were not in in glorious. You know, they weren't in Sydney and and Athens and and uh, Beijing. I mean, some some of these amazing places I got to go. Um, but Sochi was probably my least favorite one. I mean, there you go, little tidbit. For you. Well, no, I mean, we would ask about Sochi when we were in Pyeongchang because. I was curious, and some of the families were like, it was great, it was fun, we don't know what everyone's talking about, but other people were like, you'd turn on the sink, and Chernobyl would come out. Like, it was, it was the most... <laughs> I did not have that. I was I was fortunate. Of course, I was working for NBC at the time, so uh, if there was going to be a good hotel in, in Sochi, it was, NBC was going to have it, probably, but... Um, but it was it was uh yeah I mean I didn't have I didn't have some like a, a lot of people had horror stories I don't have horror stories just nobody was nobody seemed happy it was in the middle of Disney I remember uh I remember one of the uh you know one of the people I guess one of the volunteers uh saying you Americans smile 
too much? Were you smile? What are you smiling about? Which I just thought was a weird sort of Russian thing that you would hear like in a movie that you wouldn't believe ever really happened, but uh, but but it did. And so yeah, it was a very like I say, it was just kind of a weirdly uncomfortable experience. The the sports were great, and uh, I actually made a, a few uh, friends with some of the athletes that I still keep up with. So so that part was fun, but uh, yeah, it was it wasn't great. All right, we need to keep going because sure. we are gonna we're gonna break the record, which is not you know I don't think that we we want. What's do that. the record? So uh, oh, it's like seven hours. I I mean seven Mike hours never shuts up. Oh yeah, it's, it's not. Goldwyn was an hour forty, and I was like, this is perfect. That was long. Can I, yeah, that was that was that was long. Can I quibble with one with one? Um, and I may have mentioned this to you offline. I, it's so funny because when when I think drafting mobsters, which is what you did last week, yes, I, I want a syndicate that has a trigger man. I want a syndicate that has someone who's <laughs> actually willing to do the dirty work. And you guys kept finding these these clean handed men who never murder you know who would murder one guy sitting across from them at a table like i got julius what do you mean i got i totally got julius from uh from so that okay yes julius julius counts but i wanted i kept thinking frank nitty from the untouchables Mm -hmm. that thin-lipped white-suited monster (laughs) i loved how how whoever did his makeup on that movie and i don't know who played frank nitty in that movie but he is terrifying he rarely talks all you you see his face over the lip of a tommy gun for most of the movie <laughs> and he's and he's he's killing like women children puppies stocks of lettuce he's just like he's shooting everything and then he dies in the most gruesome fashion he's thrown he's thrown off the roof through the canvas of a like mobile t or something like that something like that model t mobile t is a phone number <laughs> right but, right but it, yeah no he was he was he was a good trigger man. He was. Yeah, you're right, but it wouldn't be he wouldn't be on anybody's draft board. But I think he's the Tom Brady of <laughs> take him take him low, high return. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. We got to go to our draft, but before we do that, we always have to do uh, our Yankee minute. Yankee minute. I think the special uh, opportunity for us here with the Yankee Minute is we spent so much time talking about the Patriots sort of being the Yankees uh, in, in football in so many ways. Um, do you maintain, even even as you have had to sort of uh, maintain your Yankee your your Patriot love, even though you know that they're that they're evil in many ways? Do you does that give you a little more sympathy now for the Yankee fan? Absolutely. I think. Oh wow! I think that the, but here's the one thing we talked about: the importance of, uh, that down, uh, that those valleys before you get the peaks. And Yankees fans are assholes because they're raised in the peaks. <laughs> Yankees fans right. are have never known a time where they weren't expected to win. Sometimes they like to talk about like a brief fallow period in the <laughs> mid nineties where they like, 80s. yeah, they're like, yeah. well, the, there were years where all we had was Don Mattingly. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like there were years when the Red Sox's best player was Troy O'Leary. Like this is, this is a different, we're, we're speaking a different language, but like, um, I've always loved, um, 
I've always loved. Hey, how about this? I I thought to myself this morning when we do the Yankee minute, I should try to say some positive things about the Yankees. No, it's, it's not acceptable. Okay, that will, you will be you will be declined. That you can't say positive things about the Yankees. The Yankee minute. We already have uh, Alan Seppenwall, the uh, yes. writer of Rolling Stone, who comes on here and tries to say Yankee nice Yankee things. We we shut him out as much as we possibly can. Um, Here's no, I want to say one nothing, positive nothing thing about them, which is that they are oh, the best real estate no. firm in uh, Manhattan. They, <laughs> well, that you can say. They're they're just a, they're who said I'm sure it's been mentioned so many times in the Yankee minute the quote about U.S. Steel. Yes. Rooting for the Yankees yeah. is like rooting for U.S. Steel, and some people root for U.S. Steel. They all just happen to be pinstriped lunatics, and <laughs> I. I think it's so perfect that the Yankees aren't pinstripes because uh, their fans are all um, Wall Street Wall Street jerks. And I don't, I don't remember how much profanity I could use on this podcast, so I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep it PG. But um, look, I grew up hating the Yankees so much. So it was part of my identity. As a, it was, I was Jewish first and a Yankee hater second, and then Bostonian, right, right. and then I I I have such Severe, like they, it's like seeing a Nazi uniform in a movie. It's like, <laughs> it's it's like a, it's an automatic trigger. You go, oh, that person's the bad guy. Like, what good guy ever wears a Yankees hat? Like, like Jay Z is the only one that I can think of who <laughs> a Yankees hat is acceptable on. The rest maybe want to spit, but um, yeah, there's something there's something about it where I've lost a little bit of the hate. Maybe it was Joe Girardi. Uh, who I loved uh, when I was at the Red Sox. He was one of my favorite people who would come through. He's a broadcaster. And his son, Dante, would sit in my office because we were the two youngest people in the ballpark. And uh, and Dante would come sit in my office and we'd sort of um, uh, hang out and Dante would play with action figures and I'd do my uh, paperwork and then I'd bring him back up to Joe. And Joe was always a great... And then when he got the job as the manager of the Yankees, I had this weird little existential crisis where I'm like, am I going to root for Joe Girardi? And uh, the answer is a resounding no. But um, I I can't... I, I Okay, let me revise uh, an earlier statement. It's it's not at all like being a Yankees fan, being a Patriots fan. There's no comparison. There's, there are similarities, but the Yankees are this, the Patriots will lose again one day, maybe in the 2030s, but they'll lose. The Yankees will always, they're so steeped in, in a, they're so steeped in entitlement the Patriots, for all of their uh, for all of their uh, horror, are not um, steeped in entitlement. They're 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 lo- they're a loser who has managed to win for such a long time that they have become kind of a jerk about it. But the Yankees are guys who who think it's their world and everyone else just lives in it. So, so you're saying the Yankees are. <clears throat> like the Rockefellers or something, and the Red and the Red Sox are like new money. They're like yes. the, they're like the yes, they're, they're basically Walmart is what you're saying. Ab- there you go. Well, I wish I could pick a more simpata. <laughs> let's let's say we're Amazon, all right? Let's say we're Amazon. Let's say we're Amazon minus the sex scandal. Oh no, wait, uh, we're Amazon. We're definitely Amazon. Okay. Down, <laughs> down to be down to Bezos's tubescence. We are we are Amazon 
all the way. But yes, the Yankees are old money. That's the perfect way to describe it. Like they are, who's the most likable Yankees fan celebrity? Paul Simon, maybe? Yeah. It's got to be Paul Simon, and it kills me. <laughs> it kills you that Paul Simon is a Yankee fan. That's it. I mean, he like Paul Simon, but who like, are, yeah, who, the are, Yankees- who are like who are some of the Yankee fan, the sort of noted Yankee fan celebrities? Uh, um, other than I, other than New, there's Rudy. Well, no, yeah, Rudy's not. A, that doesn't. There's, there's Rudy, Hillary. Um, Remember Hillary with the whole Yankee fanhood thing that she sort of threw at people. That didn't work. There's Jay Z. There's Jay Z. Oh, that's right. That's um, right. Oh, there's Billy Crystal. Oh my God, Crystal! <laughs> Crystal has Crystal's fandom for the Yankees is the only thing I don't like about Billy Crystal. But I really don't like it about Billy Crystal. <laughs> How does Billy Crystal, a West Virginia Jew, basically? I know he's from New York. I know he's, but like he played ball at West Virginia and he should have some understanding that the way I I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I once asked Mel Brooks if he was a Yankees fan. He told me no. So I, I just needed to know that before Adam Sandler is a Yankees fan. Yeah. Um, No, I mean like, I can't, I, I, I think like, I remember reading that Bill O'Reilly's a big Yankees fan and I was like, yes, yes, of course he is. Of course, he's a Yankees fan. Seinfeld's a big Mets fan, which I love about Seinfeld. I find it so. Um, and Springsteen, so Springsteen sort of plays uh, plays the Mets fan, doesn't he? I mean, it's like he's sort of, uh, but he he likes to show up in Mets games. I think Springsteen. I think Springsteen has a little. I think Springsteen has an assistant who works behind a bar, behind the bar at the worst at the worst dive bar in New Jersey and Springsteen <laughs> occasionally gets asked a question and he asks whoever asks him the question to hold on one second. And he picks up the phone and he calls his friend behind the bar and says, what would the most New Jersey thing to do right now be? <laughs> and the friend goes, you're a Mets fan. And he's like, yeah, I'm a Mets fan. I live and breathe and die. the Mets. Like, I just think that Bruce Springsteen is, you know, nothing's more New Jersey than like hating Chris Christie. Yep. And you know, I love that. My favorite thing about Bruce Springsteen is that Chris Christie is the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. And Bruce Springsteen has publicly and loudly many, many, many times criticized Chris Christie and refused to play his events and plays events for people running against Chris Christie. And Chris Christie was like on a Bruce Springsteen message board in the early days of the internet. And people have found those comments. Like what a sat Chris Christie is one of those guys where you're like, you're, incredibly wealthy and incredibly powerful and you're and and constantly humiliated in public by people who you admire and but i will say this about chris christie but i gotta say this about chris christie i'm you know we don't do politics on the show but i will say this he just keeps going it's not like i mean like you think like oh man that was that's the blow that's gonna make chris christie he's gonna he's gonna disappear you're never gonna see him again he's just he's gonna be so and then he's like on the show like the next day and like nothing happened he seems he seems very like wily coyote like oh i love it right i mean it's like it's like he keeps falling off cliffs but then the next scene he's fine he's just back on chasing the roadrunner again and it's like nothing seems to ever change i gotta say that's admirable to me in a weird sort of cynical way i admire that 
it doesn't matter. He's not going to tell you now that he's not a Bruce Springsteen fan just because Bruce has sort of humiliated him a couple of times. No. It doesn't matter. He just keeps going. He just keeps yeah. going. You get used. That's the most New Jersey thing to be crushed <laughs> again and again and know that your pride means nothing as long as you're surviving. Just keep you know. rolling right along. No, it's yeah, great. sure. All right. Um, I wasn't the most articulate there in my Yankee minute, but no, it but was it know. was a, it was an outstanding Yankee minute. It really was. Okay. It was a great Yankee minute. I'm All sure right, your listeners will let me know. They will. They will let. They'll let us both know how great it was. All right. Uh, time for our draft, and we are going. I like this. We are going very straight with our draft. We are just drafting uh, fictional sports characters, right? That is that is all um, we did. We didn't talk about anything about them specifically. It's just fictional sports characters, and you have the first pick. Uh, I have the first pick. Oh yeah, I mean, first pick. I feel like I feel like people listening will roll their eyes. At um, here can I first say my criteria? You you may it, it, All right. absolutely. I want I want I'm picking the best athletes. I'm not picking for a specific moment. I'm not picking for the narrative of the underdog. I'm not picking for a guy who has a magic baseball bat. I am picking for the best fictional athlete the most dominant in his field natural talent he doesn't have a pair of sneakers that make him like michael jordan or something like that like everyone's disqualified unless they are unless they show longevity and talent the kid from rookie of the year breaks his arm it doesn't make him a blue chip prospect like these have to be like in this world, Shooter McGavin is worth way more than Happy than the Flash in the Pan that is Happy Gilmore. I see. So, so okay. So, with that in mind, my number one pick is Apollo Creed. Wow, Apollo yeah. Creed, kind of shocking. I'm, I know I could have gotten him later, probably, but Apollo um, was many times over a world champion. Yeah, um, I think you could argue that Apollo um, fought. A few matches too long <laughs> but <laughs> yeah 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 you but, could definitely make that argument but in his heyday the man who was based on muhammad ali um uh, the man who um won many championships the greatest showman in his uh in his industry he was um, the greatest showman he was he was absolutely phenomenal in apollo maybe it's because he was the first pick i thought of um but <laughs> but but he is all right. I'm I'm gonna I I I don't want to do this, but I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> savage that pick because it was here's 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 here. There are two big problems with it. But by the way, remember when in Rocky Three where they went through all of his nicknames, like the like the he just kept going and and at some point uh, Rocky even said something like, "How many more are there?" And he's like, "Oh, we're almost done" or something. And I think. I don't know this because I. It seems like I've gone back and watched it just to hear this, and then it wasn't there. But I could have sworn one of his nicknames was the Count of Many Fistos. Now I don't know that that's true, and and I'm sure people will let me know. But I'm pretty sure that was one of his nicknames. And I got to say, I love Many that Fistos. Name. That's a that's a <laughs> I love that. So um, 
I think he had like a bunch of them. Like literally they listed off like seven nicknames for him. And I think that was one of them. But I, but again, I might've dreamed it. I, that might be completely wrong. So I, I, you know, and, and if I am, I, I apologize. Here's my Go problem ahead. with your, with your choice. Um, as far as I know, now look, you know, in my father's time, Apollo Creed might've been something else. Everybody loved him. He clearly, you know, whatever. In my time, I saw him uh, fight a bum fighter, a guy who like he literally pulled out of a hat because he liked his nickname, fought him in a championship bout and 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 got totally beat up and in a fight that he he wanted a split decision, uh, really pitiful. Then he's like, okay, well, I totally underestimated him. So in in the second time, he he really really works out while that that club fighter uh, is going through all kinds of emotional issues about whether or not he wants to fight. Finally, the club fighter puts it together, but puts it together in time that he beats Apollo Creed, right? He beats him. And then in the third time I saw him fight, he was killed. So I don't see how Apollo Creed is helping your team. Well, here's what I'm trying to say. Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say in response to that. First of all, if I had said Rocky as a as a pick would you have uh would you have allowed it oh sure of course i would sure but here's the thing rocky was so i didn't think about picking rocky but you know i'm not gonna pick vanilla as my favorite ice cream flavor you know what i mean so right right rocky was um rocky rocky fought apollo three times he fought apollo the first in a split decision he fought Apollo second and beat him. And then he fought Apollo a third time in private, just the two of them. And we don't know. And we don't know. We do know. Because in the movie Creed, Michael B. Jordan, <laughs> my generation even has a worse Michael Jordan, by the way. Um, Michael B. Jordan and uh, whoever portrays uh, Rocky, can't remember his name, uh, yep. is t- are talking and Rocky tells him that Apollo won that third fight and that he was only well, of able course to, he told him that. Well, he was only able to beat he was only able to beat Apollo because he fought Apollo past his prime. And I do believe that he fought Apollo past his prime because Apollo's boxing record stood at 40 he fought 49 times. He won 48 <laughs> of those bouts. He won 47 of those bouts by knockout and he lost one time to the Italian Stallion. And so um and so you're telling me that Rocky Balboa, who uh, basically a man who was dumber than the meat he was punching, um, who fought you know a bat in a bad orthodox style and was a bleeder his entire life, is a more is is a better draft pick than uh, than Apollo Creed, who won forty eight of his forty nine fights by knockout. That is absolutely. Incredible. So, you know, and if we're being honest, Rocky, Rocky was Tom Brady. Nick was Bill Belichick. I don't believe that, that any, <laughs> I don't believe. And when he was, and he, and he was killed by Clubber Lang. Yes. But Clubber Lang was 23 and Apollo was 39. No, he wasn't, he wasn't killed by Clubber Lang. He was killed oh, by, by the Russian. Uh, the, yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 He, he didn't, he didn't fight Clubber Lang. That's Clubber right. was was Clubber was a heck of a fighter. Let's let's be honest. Clubber All right, is, look, I wouldn't okay. have taken any of them number one overall, but that's okay. This sure. I I see where you're going, and I like it. Sure. Um, uh, I am going to go my my uh, first pick. I am going 
in a completely different direction uh, from you. I am picking uh, sports people that I would want to hang out with. That's oh. basically it. I'm basically pick, picking a sports posse is, is, is what I'm doing. Uh, and so my first pick, obviously, is I'm going to take uh, the dude uh, from Big Lebowski. Oh, what an um, excellent yeah. choice. <laughs> He's, obviously, we know, we know of his bowling uh, expertise. Uh, you know why and, I love him. Why do you love him? Because he's Shabbos observant. <laughs> he doesn't roll on Saturday. That's his buddy. Oh, wait. That's no, yeah, it's like John Goodman. Damn it. Well, I don't, like, Goodman character. I don't like the dude. He was involved with some unsavory characters. They were all involved with some unsavory characters. The dude was awesome. You'd want to hang out with the dude. You'd want to go bowl with the dude. So I'm taking the dude with my first pick. Yeah, he's not even. I mean, fine, fine. You you can take, but but if you uh, if you're taking the top, this is this is an athlete's draft. If you want to hang out with, <laughs> he's not even the best fictional bowler. You got to get Woody Harrelson from Kingpin in there if you're going to talk about. Uh, I don't want to hang out with that Woody Harrelson. Guy. Oh, well, fine. No way. Fine. Enjoy, enjoy hanging out with, um, uh, with the big Lebowski and his, one of his buddies who is literally a pedophile. <laughs> he's, literally... <laughs> he's not a buddy of his. He doesn't like Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, well, good. All right. So all I heard is that Joe Posnanski wants to hang out, um, with some unsavory characters. With the dude. Absolutely. Yeah, with the dude. All right. Sure. Oh, absolutely. But you know, I. By the way, you find that this draft, it's if you go by my criteria, it's really hard to. If I was just drafting on an intellectual level, you'd be taking people like um, you and I are really at different at different places because you would be drafting Happy Gilmore as I'm drafting Shooter McGavin. So <laughs> absolutely, there you go. Okay. We're, we're, this is how these drafts work. We don't. We're not. We're drafting against nothing. All right. Really, I'm drafting one of the monsters from Space Jam. But um, I, here's my I wasn't sure if it's fair to draft Michael Jordan because um, you're drafting. He's not fictional. Well, he's not fictional, and you're drafting Michael Jordan during his baseball years. Sure. So that's a tough. That's a tough. Uh, when he's still, but it's so amazing that his baseball stint was such a joke that Michael Jordan wasn't able to push back on the fact that the central premise of the movie is that he's bad at baseball, essentially. That he's like really terrible. That the stint with the Birmingham Barons is—it's the setup to the movie where he strikes out and his teammates are trying to make him feel better. They're like you look good striking out. Like Michael Jordan was doing that. Um, okay, so here, who are the monsters? The monsters, if you don't remember, are the aliens that steal um, the talent of the following NBA players. They steal talent from Charles Barkley, Sean Bradley, Patrick Ewing. Um, they steal from Muggsy Bogues, and I think the third person is maybe Johnson. Could yeah. be. All right, I am gonna say that when was Space Jam was released? Hold on, let me just Google when Space Jam was released. Space Jam was released in 1996. Wow, it's not got a high critic critical rating. <laughs> Can't believe it's only got a surprising. 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 Yeah. Um, I all right. I'm gonna say that you have to go with uh, the monster that stole Patrick Ewing's talent. Because in 1996, out of all those guys, um, oh no, sorry, Charles Barkley, right? 1996, got to go Barkley. Yeah, yeah, you have to go Barkley. So the monster that stole Charles Barkley's talent 
is your is your monster. Yes, his name is Pound, by the way. And it is Larry. <laughs> well, sure it is it Larry is. Johnson, the Charlotte Hornets power forward who has a stallion stolen by someone named Bupkis. These are the monsters. Pound, Blanco, Bang, Bupkis, and Not. So <laughs> So that's how you, they all work for Mr. Swackhammer, the proprietor of the intergalactic theme park, Moron Mountain. If you owned a theme park, I would do everything in my power not to have it called Moron Mountain. So, um, all right. So, so just so I understand your team as of right now, as of this moment, and you are actually trying to take the best team. You're trying to take the best athlete. Your team is pound from the Monstars and Apollo Creed. That's basically what we're. So, you, are you going to take someone that wins at any point? Is that something you're planning on doing, or how are you planning on doing yeah, that? Of course, my, my third pick is undefeated, so that's just a good. good okay, answer. all right. Well, well, we'll we'll get to your third pick. All right. Well, as you know, I'm taking uh, athletes that I want to hang out with. So, my second pick, uh, I am taking uh, Bugs Bunny. From the Bugs Bunny yes! uh, baseball, uh, baseball yes! bugs. Um, who would be? Wait, wait, what? You're taking him from baseball bugs? Well, whichever the one that there were, he where they he pitches and and hits and and dominates in all ways. He's one against nine. Uh, yeah, he's the man. Baseball bugs. He's awesome. Fine. Fine. <laughs> and who I mean, would... you're not going to take Bugs Bunny from Space Jam. Well, he, he, you know, that, that's just, that's sort of a side thing. I'm going to have him play baseball. I mean, that's, he, he can, if I, if I ever need him on the basketball front, that'll be fine, but I'm taking him from the baseball, uh, baseball elements of, of his game. And, uh, obviously an incredible athlete did everything, caught everything hit, you know, could do everything he wanted, but what a jokester, what a, what a, what a little, what a little guy just, just, just. If you needed a laugh, who would be better? Who would be better to hang out with than Bugs Bunny? Am I right? So I've got the dude hanging out with the dude, and I'm hanging out with Bugs Bunny. I'm feeling very good about my team. Well, I'm hanging out with one of the monsters <laughs> and Apollo Creed. Not great, um, not great. But you don't care. Yeah. You're not. You're not in. You're you're out there to to win. You're out there to 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 dominate the world. You're off to a little bit of a slow start, but you're off to dominate the world. <laughs> So who is the third pick in your in your attempt for world domination? Airbud. <laughs> well, of course. Well, of course. I I am taking Airbud. Okay. Because, because here's what you want from an first of all, there's no rule that says a dog can't be drafted in a podcast draft, which is the reason. <laughs> There, there is no rule. This is this is wide open for you. This is totally wide open for yeah. you. First of all, Airbud was. Um, there's some people who are not going to know who Airbud was, but um, Airbud was the star of a 1997 uh, movie. Uh, he was the eponymous. I guess you'd say the eponymous or the titular. Yeah, he's the, both. Both oh. work. He was the eponymous or titular star of a movie about Air Buddy, who is a real life dog, obviously, sure. and he and he could shoot basketball hoops. And here's the thing: he was unstoppable. <laughs> there was not a kid in that league who could stop Air Bud. Air Bud was. Um, I checked. Air Bud is. Uh, he doesn't miss a shot. He is. He is 28 for 28 from the field in the movie. He, uh, he, he hits from beyond the arc. He hits from around the three-point line. He hits layups. 
uh, they're mostly alley-oops. Mostly people have to throw the ball to Airbud, but uh, Airbud absolutely buries every shot that he takes, and that is uh, a high percentage. I can't believe he's still on the board that no one's picked him up. I mean, people are talking about Kaepernick, but why is Airbud not playing in the NBA? Is my question. Are there not I multiple Airbud movies? Didn't he play other sports as well? Isn't there an Airbud too? Yes. There was a franchise. I mean, was there an Airbud too? I'm so glad you asked. First of all, there wasn't just. Uh, well, there was Airbud, and he was a multi-sport athlete. There was Airbud Golden Receiver. Oh, Airbud right Golden play. Receiver. Thank you. I just wanted to yeah. say Airbud Golden Receiver. Continue. But it feature it features a horrific injury. Oh um, no. It does. It features a really bad injury. Airbud is tackled, and you know, it's hard to uh, it's it's hard to watch. It's uh, it's hard to it's it's like uh, that Zion Williamson. It's like the video of that guy a few years ago. Airbud gets tackled towards the end of the game, and they've got to win without him, and it's really sad. And and some of you might say, "Well, wait, isn't that also the plot of the first movie?" Yeah, and the third and fifth. Um, but then there was Airbud's seventh inning fetch. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm now looking at this. You skipped one. You skipped Airbud World oh, Cup. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. He he becomes a he becomes a soccer player. Um and by the way, and the antagonists in these movies are um are there are two antagonists. One is there's always someone kidnapping, trying to kidnap Airbud. Yes. Um and then is that usually uh, Tim Conway? To... Is that usually Tim Conway trying to kidnap him? Yes, yeah. yes, it is usually <laughs> Tim Conway trying to kidnap him. But uh, the other antagonist is time because these dogs don't live forever, and it is hard to teach a dog to play various sports. I think there was a volleyball one, but I'm not sure about that it. I think be, there was Airbud. That would be Airbud bikes back. Yes, <laughs> all these movies got made in a golden six or seven year period between 1996 and 2004, and they're Air Buddies. But these <laughs> new money Air Bud uh, Golden Retrievers—they are not nearly as uh, as good. But they launched they <laughs> launched a franchise, and the original Air Bud, the, the Michael Jordan of Golden Retrievers, <laughs> that is. <laughs> All right, I, I'm Sorry. I'm giving you Airbud, and that that's your first good pick that you've had is Airbud. All of those dominant <laughs> performances, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, I, I'm giving you Airbud. All right, thank you. <laughs> Airbud spikes back. Come on. All right, with I, I wondered, like, did they sit in a room? They're trying to think of dog uh, puns, right? <laughs> when they're trying to come up with the titles. Clearly, like Golden Receiver came to them right away. They're like, "All right, he's oh just, right." I think yeah. they had it around the before the first movies even. But imagine being Charles Martin Smith, who is an actor who is in American Graffiti, and then directs, and then has to direct the. Imagine having to be at a party and people are like, "Hey, Charles, uh, what are you working on?" And he's like, <laughs> "Oh." Well, I'm so I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I just I just wrapped uh, I just wrapped filming on a movie. Uh, it's a sports movie. Oh, really? It's a sports movie? Yeah, like Bull Durham. I I mean I mean it's a sports movie. Uh, no, not like not like not exactly like Bull Durham. Uh, it, it, it does feature a dominant athlete though at the top of his game. Let's just leave it there. It's just dominant athlete, top of his game. So excited. 
to be doing a major studio release. I want you to know that all of the Airbuds uh, had multiple writers, but it took four screenplay writers to get Airbuds seventh inning fetch. I think I think just trying to get the exact baseball things down, uh, it took four uh, people to write Airbud seventh inning stretch, which features. Can you imagine? I want, yeah, go ahead. It features on the cover uh, a dog, uh, obviously Airbud, in a uniform uh, with a bat in his mouth, and then for reasons that are not entirely clear, um, there is a uh, badger of some kind on the no, cover. No, it's, ra- it's a raccoon. Raccoon. It's a raccoon. Yeah, it's okay. It's, right. it's hard to see on the picture. It is a raccoon. With a baseball. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. Do you want to know why? Of course so I want to know why. Here's the plot of seventh inning fetch. Um, I may get this wrong, but Josh, who Josh Fram was in every one of those golden era movies. And uh, Josh goes to college and Buddy is staying with his sister. Um, and... Sure. And I think Buddy, they find out that he's able to play baseball. There's always a moment in every one of these movies where they find out mysterious. You, you wouldn't think that after they played, if he played three sports, they'd be like, well, he's also probably proficient in whatever the other major sports are. But um, the, the season starts and Buddy has children at this point and the raccoon is stealing them. And the raccoon's name, and I'll never forget this, is Rocky Raccoon, well, which, sure. Is, well, sure. which is the name of every... Um, but yeah, the raccoon, and here's where it got really scientific. I remember watching this as a kid. The reason they were stealing the puppies was because the kidnappers um, thought that the um, thought that the this is like a race of super puppies that was uh, specially like that had some sort of special gene that meant that they were like excellent athletes. And so, um, and so this had a tie in and buddy played in the majors, uh, in this, he he had, he had a professional big league at bat playing for the Anaheim angels. So, uh, so that's an actual thing that happened in a movie where um where buddy I don't think it's the original Airbud. I think Airbud died after the second movie and I think this is some repl- replacement garbage Airbud. But um it's but yeah, it's, that's it's, that's it's the plot. I think I'm close. I think I'm close by the way in terms of I think that is the plot of the movie. I am not going to look it up. So I'm going to assume that you are correct and uh and, the listeners correct me. Well sure. I mean that's that's of course that's the case. All right. Well, here we go. So I'm. We'll go back to my, to my draft where I'm drafting people I want to hang out with, uh, great uh, fictional sports characters that I want to hang out with. Uh, with my third pick, I'm going to go a little bit off the board, like I didn't go off the board the first two times, um, and I'm going to take Fast Eddie Felson, the um, uh, pool hustler that Paul Newman played in the movie The Hustler. Um, that guy just seemed to me to be just incredibly like there was there's like if have you seen the hustler i assume you've seen the hustler i have i have seen the hustler and that's incredible by the way that's a really it's an amazing that's a great pick and there's a depth to that to that paul newman character (laughs) like the guy is like he's he's a pool hustler but he wants to be more and and you know he's sort of like you know he, he gets caught up with some unsavory characters and, but he, you know, he does, he wants to show them greatness, what it really looks like and, and ends up getting his thumbs broken over it. And there's many, many cool elements, but I've always thought that guy 
like he would be like the like a great guy to go and just hang out with and tell stories. And of course, later Paul Newman plays the same character in uh, the Scorsese, uh, um, uh, I guess, sequel. Color of Money. Yeah, Color of Money. It's sort of a sequel. It's kind of hard to kind of hard to but it's the same character it's the same guy and by then he is like a pretty cool old guy telling great stories and all that i just think he'd be a great guy to hang out with so i am taking fast eddie felson from the hustler that is such a great pick and that's such a great pick man there you I, go i'm there we go i mean you're taking your your it's almost like you've got more experience uh than me. <laughs> no, no we're just drifting we're, we're drafting different things your 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 attempt at world domination has taken a it's it's taken an uptick with airbud so uh but it's your draft is really going to come down to your final two picks okay can i tell you who i've left on the board some of these well i'll do that at the end you do that at the end that's the, the for your last pick you say who, who you did not take that's, so right, that's here's right. your fourth um I'm taking a coach. Coach, you need a coach, sure. I'm taking Gordon Bombay. <laughs> well, of course you are. I'm taking Gordon Bombay, who, by the way, the premise of the movie is both insane and offensive. That after a DUI, Emilio Estevez, <laughs> his punishment is teaching children. Yep. yep. They give they give a local drunk. They give that is white privilege, where where a man gets a DUI and his punishment is is coaching a youth hockey team part time, and uh, that counts that counts for him. Um, and also, he's criminally negligent. He lets them get into his limousine on the ice of a pond. That movie could have ended quickly and badly. Yes, it really could have. That wouldn't have been as good a movie. It really wouldn't have been. No. Local drunk dies alongside 12 children when his when his limousine filled with booze plunges into into one of Minnesota's 10,000 lakes. But um, I think uh, Gordon Bombay, he was able to do what Brad Stevens hasn't, which is make that collective into a unit. He was an excellent underhanded uh, dealer when the teams uh at, I'm not sure if you remember but Adam Banks was the best player on the Hawks the team that they were playing against and he was able to get Adam Banks shifted from the Hawks to the Mighty Ducks because the um district had been um gerrymandered previously yeah. and he noticed the loophole and realized that Adam Banks uh, was right, by all rights a mighty duck. It was, was a Belichickian move for sure. Oh, the most Belichickian. So yeah, I'm I'm taking um, Gordon Bombay, um, Emilio Estes, who by the way had a brief but stellar playing career, which I always like in a uh, in a coach because they know what the game is, and he knew the the um, he knew defeat. The the movie has a bunch of holes in it. There are a lot of plot holes. <laughs> The uh, the second movie where they go to uh, the second movie or the third movie I can't remember which one where they go to play in a Pan Am Games against Team Iceland that dominant you know that dominant hockey powerhouse Iceland which I checked has a total of four skating rinks sure um, and uh, I, I I do think that um, I do think that Gordon Bombay uh, I talked too long for Airbud but Gordon Bombay great coach. <laughs> Great, uh, great coach, great athlete, great leader, town drunk. 
there is there is yeah so many good town drunks in in these sports movies and by the way there's no there's no talking too long on this show that's the great the great thing about the show it just keeps going and going and going mm, all right with my uh fourth pick um you know i wanted to pick somebody uh from uh from a league of their own uh somebody who cool to add to my squad obviously the 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 uh, you know you'd want to take Dottie hinson was the best player but I don't think she'd be that fun to hang out with. I got to be honest with you. She's kind of, she's a little stoic. She, she doesn't seem like she would be able to, she just doesn't look like she'd be a lot of fun. Uh, you could take the May, uh, all the way May, the Madonna character. Uh, but again, eh, I, don't, I don't think so. A little too into herself. The Rosie character, Doris was, you know, she was in contention for this pick, but uh, the way she blew the cutoff on the final play of the game was so, just so dauntingly bad. I just don't know that I could hang out with her at all after that. Uh, so I'm going to go with a very underappreciated uh, <laughs> character, the shortstop Ellen Sugatlander, who was also wow. uh, the beauty queen. Uh, Ellen Sue does not. I mean, I, I really feel like you could make the movie entirely different with Ellen Sue as the star. I think she is like the shining character of the of the movie but she just doesn't get the the, the camera's just not on her it's so it's a little bit like sure. watching it's like watching that movie with the band where it's always uh it's always focused on on robbie and and not which is criminal why isn't that it's, it's criminal because robbie they, was like best friends with scorsese that's, that's why. exactly <laughs> why that's exactly why levon got screwed and he never and by the way it's something i seriously think about and get upset about all the time that <laughs> that and apparently they went to the premiere um and they sat them in the seventh row and robbie oh. and scorsese were in the first row and levon looked at denko and said or whoever was sitting next to you and was like, hey, wonder why those guys are sat up there. We're sat back here. And they watched the movie and they realized about, you know, 20 minutes in what was happening because Robbie Dean's like, it's, it's, it's Levon out of, the, of, the, of his own band. I mean, come on. It was so, Levon's um, band. It was Levon's band. Um, Robbie so, Robinson so, can burn in hell. <laughs> I bet you Robbie Robinson loves the Yankees. <laughs> Ellen Sue Gotlander, in my view, is sort of the Levon of of the movie, but she does get the one great moment where the guy is on the dugout, uh, top of the dugout, like pretending to be a woman, and he's like got his his pants rolled up, and he's like, "Oh, look at me!" And she like lets a throw go, and it hits him uh, from the shortstop. She's like, "Oh, it slipped out of my hand." To me, I'm like, "That's she's the coolest person here. She's the coolest one here." So uh, I will take Ellen Sue Gotlander with my fourth pick. That's a great choice. That's a really good choice. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Gone. Final pick. Down to the fifth. Here we go. Um, I thought about um I I thought about a diverse range of people for this one, Joe. Um I thought yeah. about Jesus Shuttleworth from uh sure. He Got Game. I thought about Excellent. uh Bobby Boucher from The Waterboy. Sure. Um but you know his performance-enhancing drug was H two O, so I don't know. Uh, I don't. I know. I know how you feel about that. Um, Ricky Ricky <laughs> Vaughn. Ricky Vaughn was uh, wild thing. Sure, was wild thing. But he was indeed wild. There were and there were a few dark horses. There was Shane Falco from um, the Replacements and Rod Tidwell oh, yeah. from Jerry Maguire. But ultimately, my last choice. Um, and this is unconventional, um, given that it's, uh, <laughs> you're going for world domination. 
Again, yeah. <laughs> going for world domination. It was a toss-up between him and Benny the Jet Rodriguez from the Sandlot, but ultimately I went with Forrest Gump. Wow. Wow. Yes. Went with Forrest. Just for the for- pure speed, right? You just Forrest wanted Gump. pure speed. Raw speed, but you know what? Incredible luck. And you got to imagine that Fernando Perez, to come full circle, Fernando Perez and I like to talk a lot about the Dave Foster Wallace piece, How Tracy Austin Broke My Heart, which sure. is that, which, which posits that a, the best players don't think about playing. And Forrest Gump was so unconscious. He, he sleepwalked, he meandered through um, life with such um, pristine realness that he was able to be an All-American. He was an All-American back when being an All-American really meant something. And he played uh, He played at, at the highest level. Um, he could have played at as a uh, collegiate player, said that there was professional interest, but that he just wasn't interested back. And so I am um, doing what should have been done back in the um, late 60s, which is draft Forrest Gump. So I am drafting uh, Forrest Gump as the last member of my fictional athletes team. Okay, a couple problems with Forrest Gump, the athletic story of Forrest Gump. One, one, he was an All-American at Alabama. All-American football player at Alabama. Mm -hmm. And yet he got absolutely, nobody even knew who he was when he went into the Army. Nobody even knew he was an All-American. Then he became one of the world's best table tennis players. And nobody, there was not one sports writer who drew back on the fact that he was actually once an All-American football player at Alabama and also had won like a Purple Heart and and whatever it was, the, he won the presidential, uh, you know, whatever the big award that he won. Nobody connected this when he starts running across America. Nobody connects that this guy used to be a world table tennis champion, a an All American at You're Alabama. You're making my and, case for me. You're making my case for no, me. No, I'm not. I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing the the case of world domination. I mean, there's no point in arguing uh, for a team that has Apollo Creed, one of the Monstars, <laughs> Air Bud. <laughs> Uh, and, and Forrest Gump on the team, um, uh, and the coach from, and the coach from, uh, from, uh, the, uh, the, the children's hockey team that, I mean, if that team isn't ready to go, I don't know what team would be right. I don't, I don't know what team wouldn't be ready to go at that point, but I'm just saying from the movie's perspective, that was a big flaw. That was a major flaw. You mean it's, I, I get, you know, the idea is obviously unrealistic. He's got it. You know, the whole point is that he's, he's in all these places and he's everywhere and, and, and nowhere and all those same things, but come on. I mean, he, you, you tell me nobody's going to connect that this guy was like kind of famous. People, people did connect. First of all, I was on the cover of, he was on the cover of time magazine. Which, yeah, but he was on the cover of Time Magazine for, for being a, becoming a billionaire. I mean, which is incredible. <laughs> he is, first of all. You think that story mentioned that he was an All-American football player yes, and a world champion? There is, that is no me. doubt in my mind that they go, that they go I don't Forrest think Gump. the reporter did a good first job. Of, I don't think so. Forrest Gump impressed Bear Bryant. 
to be on that team. That's what you forget. Bear Bryant put him on some. Bear Bryant was coaching that team. Who are, yes, of course. So the Alabama football team in the in the sixties is Bear Bryant. Who are you to contradict the great <laughs> to contradict the great Bear Bryant, the incredible football clo- coach slash racist? Who could <laughs> who could possibly um, uh, who could possibly say? And you just said you just said it for me. First of all, he outran an airstrike carrying his best his his best good friend who weighed, yes, he did. Who weighed way true. more than any um than he was strong he was strong yes he was strong he had raw power he had endurance he ran across the united states a couple of times he made the entire country rethink their lives he saved america with ping pong diplomacy this is and that was and by the way he, the trophy says he was player of the year in 1971 which is he did all this in like a five six seven year span and so and so forrest gump had a babe didrickson um like level of uh of athletic i like multi-sport athletes i feel like you know between air bud and forrest gump <laughs> i've got that like is, that is true six that is true incredible year, but he was a, he was an ultra marathoner before there was such a thing and i forgot about that and i forgot about the table tennis and you have basically you know just proven my point I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm just going to say that a uh, dinner with your team would not be that fun. That's all I'm going to say. All right. With my fifth pick, obviously I need a sort of a Zen leader to sort of, uh, bring my team together because uh, they're, they're just a bunch of great people. It would be so fun to hang out with. And I need the Zen guy to, to lead the, the team back. And uh, so obviously uh, with my fifth pick, I'm going to take Mr. Miyagi. Oh. I, I don't think that there can even be a, a, any other option. The, the the big issue I have with Mr. Miyagi, everybody, you know, points out the, the, the elements. Mr. Miyagi beats the crap out of five guys, five kids, five like high school kids. And I, they came after him first. I'm not saying he didn't do that, but he still beat the crap out of five. I mean, left them all like on the ground, like groveling and pain and, and, and all of that. I don't know. That does, that seems a little wrong to me. That seems, you know, it seems like he could have like tried to work that out a little more peaceably. Don't you think? Yes. But what a, what a, I'm blown away. What a great pick, Mr. Miyagi. I'm actually infuriated that. Oh, that's such a great leader. I'm, I, I feel, I fear that Gordon Bombay might not, He's overmatched. Mm, overmatched. It's very good indeed. Shoot. Mr. Miyagi is, you're right, a Zen, uh, a Zen character who would be, who would be the real life Mr. Miyagi? If there was an American sports coach and like, who is the real life sports Mr. Miyagi? You know who, you know who was trying for the whole Mr. Miyagi thing was Joe Madden. Joe Madden was going For that whole Miyagi thing. Don't you think he was like trying like all these weird like things to try to get everybody, you know, instead of wax on, wax off, it's like, hey, let's bring some elephants on the field. That'll make everybody feel better. You know, it's like there was, he was always going for some sort of weird thing. And then everybody found out, and I say this with all due respect, uh, that Joe Man's not a very good manager. So that, that made it a little bit uh, tougher. Um, and I mean, game manager, he's not, he's not the best game manager when you follow him on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, so he's not going to get my, my pick. Who is your choice for Mr. B? Um, uh, I just read a very nice piece by Charlotte Wilder in Sports Illustrated about Jeff Fisher. Um, uh, but 
Jeff Fisher is not. No, he certainly is. You, you, you got to win some games. No, my of course, gosh. of course. But I'm trying to think of actually the Zen approach doesn't usually work in in American sports. I'm, I'm really struggling to think of anyone who with a sort of Zen. Well, Phil Jackson hmm. made his like name for being a Zen coach, right? Like that was his whole that was his whole mantra was that he was like sort of the Zen dude. But he never it never I don't think he ever pulled it off. Um Jeff Fisher, definitely not. I, I you know, if you were if you're going with, with basketball, I mean there's there's a little bit Zen. Uh, he's too mean to be Zen. Uh, how about how about John how about how about Wooden? John Wooden? Yeah, there's a there's a little Zen thing going on with John Wooden. John Wooden was was very yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's not bad. It's not bad. I don't know if anyone's approach has been relax and play your game. You know, I think yeah. it, it the, tends the, to the, uh, rush, hurry but don't rush, or whatever that whole thing is. That's very Miyagi. I don't think in the long history of John Wooden's, you know, much acclaim and all the championships, he's ever been compared to Mister Miyagi before. So, no. so I think we're getting something. Uh, if very- you Google real life Mister Miyagi. Oh my God! Can I really quickly recap? Remember what happened when I was in Charlotte? I took a I took a karate. That's right. Can I tell you? That's right. Oh my God! Pull that in. Tell us. In fact, let's oh. make this your one last meaningless thing because I think this is the perfect oh, absolutely one last meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know. Like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast won't. It's one last won't. Go. So, wow. Okay, yes, perfect. Uh, I do a lot of... Uh, I do some weird stuff when I'm on the road. I always try to like go see unusual things and, and meet unusual uh, folks. And I will go out of my way to do it. And I was in Charlotte with uh, the aforementioned Gary Goldman and the trip was amazing. And I got to uh, spend some time with Joe Posnanski and uh, Tommy Tomlinson, who's written a great book that I hope all of your listeners will read. Um, I know he's a previous guest host. It's yeah. Um, and uh, while I was there, I took a – to much mockery from Tommy Thomas and Joe Posnanski, um, their spouses, and Gary Goldman, I took a karate class. Um, yes, karate. Karate at a Bushkin karate studio in across the street from the Airbnb where I had been put up. And on the first day in Charlotte, I thought, I'm – I can't believe there's a karate studio here. Who the heck would ever take a karate class? And on the – third day that i was there i thought there's nothing to do other than take this karate class like this is happening so i walk in i rent a gi um i sign up for the karate class at 16 dollars. sensei randall and uh and his wife uh treat me with tremendous respect there are about 10 or sorry there are about 13 people in this class there's me sure uh, two other adults, and everyone else is below the age of 14. And in Bushken Karate, you fight everybody else in the class one time at the end of the class. So I 
what the first person I thought was an adult, he decimated me. The second person I thought thought was an adult, um, I played a very defensive game. The third person I thought was a twelve year old boy, he decimated me. The fourth person I thought was a ten year old boy, I showed no mercy, and uh, wow. yes, I showed no mercy, and with mixed results all the way through the. But it was a lot of uh, fun and a great workout, and everyone treated me really nicely. And and I said to Sensei Randall, I said, "Thanks, man, you're a real mensch." And he said to me, "What's a mensch?" And I said, "It means like good guy." And he went, "Oh, cool." Um, and then I invited him to the comedy club. He didn't come, but we, uh, I posted about it. Great guy. So two weeks later, I'm at home in New York. And or three weeks later, I guess. And I'm watching CNN and the anchor goes an amazing story tonight out of a North Charlotte karate studio. And I was sitting there with AJ, my brother, and AJ just hears me go, no way. Because there's only I'm like, there can't be that many North Charlotte karate studios. And a woman was being mugged in the parking lot. Um, which, by the way, tells you a lot about the type of uh, places that comedy clubs will put you up in. Um, a, a woman sure. was being mugged in the parking lot. And she ran with incredible presence of mind, um, runs into Bushkin Karate. Sensei Randall was there sleeping up. And the mugger, um, or a kidnapper, he was trying to throw her into a van or something, um, tried to take on Sensei Randall, and he got decimated. And Which, by the way, means reduced by a power of 10. So I'm using the word wrong. But Sensei Randall really beat him up. And then he went out in the parking lot, and Sensei Randall beat him up there a little more. And then... Um, Police arrived, and then TV news stations arrived, and Sensei Randall was a bona fide hero. And I sent him a message going, because um, we had each other's information. I said, congratulations, the whole world knows that you're a mensch now. And he wrote back, LOL, or something like that, or you know, or he wrote back, like, just trying to be a mensch. Like, but yeah, so I took a karate class from a real-life Mr. Miyagi, uh, a real-life badass, and so, by the transitive property, I myself am a karate bat, karate badass. Yes, no, that's that's how that works. Yeah. That's exactly that's exactly how yeah. that works. You you definitely are. Yeah, this is the most ridiculous, amazing, crazy thing ever that you happen to go into that karate studio and uh, and for that to be in the news just uh, three weeks later. Uh, amazing, just amazing. But you know, that's kind of the life you live, isn't it? Just you, you're kind of the Forrest Gump of comedy. I you? am. I walk through life unconscious. Just, just can't. <laughs> I'm standing on a street corner in my underwear right now, holding this computer. There's no, uh, there's that's all you all need. need. It's all you need is a computer and a street <laughs> corner. It's all you need. All right. <clears throat> my one last meaningless thing is <clears throat> very meaningless. So I mentioned that I was at the Sloan conference and and uh when you go to these conferences and speak uh they tend to give you little gift bags uh which is very nice of them to do and uh they actually had a very very nice gift bag uh that they gave me and i i opened it up and it had lots of cool stuff in it the usual things you know the, like a pen and a pad and and a water bottle and and a few other things but also in there they had Two uh, DVDs for Thirty for Thirty uh, oh, wow. uh, films that uh, that were there, which of course you know you you've done some Thirty for Thirty work yourself. Um, so there were two films. There was one I think it was the I think it was the two Bills the uh, the or the something about the Buffalo Bills, and then there was another one, and I which was very nice and and it's very nice. Um, 
I don't use DVDs anymore. I don't know anybody who does use DVDs anymore. Um, so I didn't really know what to do with that. We have like DVDs we're just trying to get rid of. We have one DVD player that is, it's like, you know, cobwebs all over. We haven't used that in, in years. And and so I was like, well, you know, if I want to watch these 30 for 30s, I could just watch them on demand on ESPN. Why would I need these DVDs? So I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to take these. I'm not going to pack these DVDs. I'm going to give them away. I went downstairs and I said uh, to the people at the desk, I said, hey, you are you guys uh, sports fans? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, I've got these DVDs uh, that, that I got as a gift. Uh, I'd like to give them their 30 for 30. They're both really good. I've seen one of them, they're, but they're, but these are excellent. And the guy looked at me and he's like, no, I don't have anything to play that on, man. I don't have anything. Like I'm giving these away. I'm just give No, I, no give them no, away. I, I don't want those. And they looked at them, could not give them away. I went to three other people and all of them kind of gave me that same. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything. I can't really, I won't be able to play those. So it's like DVDs are dead. They're just truly dead. In Boston, I cannot find somebody who would take the free. So I just left them in my room. Uh, hopefully the the uh, people who, uh, you know, either the, the cleaning people or or the people who had the room next, I guess, or, you know, maybe they open the drawer and like they'll be in there or something like the like the Bible and uh, and they'll uh, they'll take the the 30 for 30 DVDs. But I just want you to know that we have crossed that line now where DVDs are not only not practical or what they're useless. They're basically useless. Absolutely. Of course. Who who uses DVDs? Have you when was the last time you watched it? Oh my god. When was the last time you watched it? The Writers Guild sends out screeners (laughs) and we had to hunt around for people who had I was watching it with a friend in her apartment and I brought over a Star is Born and we're about to watch and she looks at me and she goes, I just need to run down the hall and see if anyone here has a DVD player. And I was like, (laughs) she's like, do you have a way we can watch it digitally? And I was like, are you, are you kidding me? She's like, I don't have a DVD player. And I was like, "Uh, you don't. And she said, do you have a DVD player? I was like, I have a PlayStation. I watch it on the place. Like <laughs> the place that the, that's, that's the thing. If you, if you, it's like, a, it's a Swiss, it's like the Swiss army knife. Like you're never going to use the spoon, but you have it. If you, if you, it's like, it's like you might have a device that also plays DVDs, but at this point, nobody has a DVD player. Like just, that's what the, that's the, all that it does. Can I, by the way, can I say one thing about our draft that will bother me? If you don't, if I don't say how, please say, how please can feel you good. pick? How can you pick a group of athletes to hang out with? How can you? How can you pick a group of athletes to hang out with and not pick Rodney Dangerfield's character from Caddyshack? If you- oh no, I wouldn't. I you know what? And and this is going to be I, you're you're going to get me in trouble because it's going to be sacrilegious. I don't I I don't quite get the Rodney Dangerfield thing. I never really have. I I I. I I know, you know, that character's fine. He's funny, whatever. I I know there are people that just love Rodney Dangerfield. It might be because I once read a Frank DeFord piece where it turned out that Rodney Dangerfield was like an unbelievable jerk. Really? To him. Uh, Yeah, when they were doing the the beer commercials and he was – I remember he spent quite a bit of time describing just what a terrible person Rodney Dangerfield is. And maybe I've just never been able to get that out of my head. But I've never – 
No, I would not want to hang out with that Ronnie Dangerfield character. Excruciating do to find that out about Al Cervic, but that's, <laughs> that's all right. Well, well, I took us past the Goldman point. We're at an hour and, and 50 minutes. I'm Yeah, we are. We're, our poor producer, DJ, is going, to, uh, is going to kill us for this. But that's all right, because this was another just successful podcast. I, that's, all, that's all we ever go for here. Very successful. I, I'm Al so sorry. Cannot... Oh my gosh, don't be sorry, but please stop. You were awesome. And this was great. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh my God. It was, this is a um, career highlight for me. I'm such a huge fan of yours and such a, no, it really is. I love, um, I love, I know this this cannot be a career. I can't live with it. I can't, your career is going in huge, huge places. You cannot, this cannot be a career. No, this is huge for me. I'm really pleased. Really excited. (laughs) Um, and, uh, we didn't even, I love your emails on Patreon. And if, uh, if this is, and I think that, uh, everyone who's listening, I'm sure has already signed up to your Patreon, but it is, is the only Patreon that I am a patron of. And I have, uh, except for my friend, Brandon Wardell's. Yeah, but still, podcast um uh, but i yeah i love the i love the emails even though i don't always agree i wasn't super i wasn't super excited about you slamming bill mazeroski in your last email but oh uh, you you like the man i love maz he's a wonderful i think but we're not gonna get it we're not gonna get into it it for another hour i think we will be (laughs) although i do think the hall of fame should allow for great moments all right but but that's a totally different discussion but uh but yeah i love the patreon i'm so psyched to do this and i hope to do it again sometime be great awesome thank you all right thanks guys